0: Welcome to your Found Family Podcast, where we don't just have a heart-to-heart, we connect soul-to-soul. I'm your host Lizzie, a certified coaching practitioner who found family outside of blood family. In our found family, you are accepted and assured that you are not alone. Subscribe and tune in for educational and empowering soul chats with women from all over the world, talking about well-being, personal growth and development, and mental and emotional health. Welcome back to another episode of Found Family. I have a very, very special guest with me here today, Kate, and we're going to be talking about social anxiety. Kate Hardy is a blogger and bookshop manager from the UK. Her blog, LoveMyAnxiousBrain.com, brings together research and personal experience for a compassionate look at mental health issues. She enjoys challenging her anxiety in physical ways like rock climbing, bouldering, and weight training but she thinks hugs and affection are some of the best medicine for anxiety. And when she can't spend time with her boyfriend, she loves to walk other people's dogs in her local area. Kate, I am honored to have you here. Thank you so, so much. And I love, love, love your bio.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much, Lizzie. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me to talk with you.
0: Of course. This is such a important topic and it's something that's very near and dear to me as well as someone who has personally experienced a lot of social anxiety as a child and into my like you know early adult years so I'm really looking forward to sharing this story with everyone hearing more about your story and just like learning more about social anxiety as well so I think what would be a really great place to start is if you could just share a little bit more with us about yourself
1: Sure. So um, I'm a charity bookshop manager. Um, I work with a lot of volunteers of different ages. So the youngest are in their teens. The oldest is currently 92. So it's a pretty interesting job. Um, outside of that, you already mentioned that I do a lot of blogging. That's quite new. Um, I've always been a writer, but the the actual uh, mental health blogging, I've only been doing for a few months. So I'm just starting out with it really, And I've learned so much already. It's incredible. Um, That's not Thank you. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I grew up in the South of England and then I moved up to the Midlands and just came back three years ago, back to my hometown. Um, I split up my husband three years ago and I'm dating a wonderful guy who lives about a 45 minute drive away. So we just see each other when we can. So that's why I was saying the kind of the hug side of things. If I kind of, um, feel like I want that affection, I've found that sort of walking other people's dogs, because I, I can't have it where I live, um, my mom's got a cat, so I go over and see her sometimes, and just hug the cat, <laughs> but yeah, just, like, affection is just, like, really, really important to me, and I think it kind of helps with social anxiety, having that kind of, um, that warmth and that companionship.
0: Absolutely, and think about how many dogs are in different areas like they bring them to some offices and things that are like emotional support dogs like there really is something so special about having like an animal as a companion and being able to like feel that affection from them especially with dogs I feel like you walk home from work you're tired you're you know even if something happened you're not in the best mood like they just love unconditionally and like what a way to be greeted when you get home right Oh my god! Yeah, yeah,
1: just, just lovely. I had a dog when I was a kid, and I miss him so much. So yeah, one day, one day, I'm gonna live somewhere I can actually Aww. have him. So now it's just so. What nice. kind of dog? It was a German Shepherd, so like great big shaggy dog, <laughs>
0: really cute. Oh, perfect for big hugs. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> um.
1: So yeah, what else? I'm kind of a bit of a hippie, I guess. I lived in a yurt for two years. You know, like those Mongolian dwellings. I could have made out of oh water, awesome um, which was really fun um, and I lived in a log cabin in the Scottish Highland for a couple of months so I was looking after their holiday yurts up there as well um wow I'm kind of um a bit of a, um, a bit of a weight now I don't really look it if you see a photo of me but I've been weight training for a couple of years at the gym so I love that nice um, I was really into kung fu for a while and rock climbing but I just find that I haven't got the time at the moment because I'm working full-time and then trying to build a blog up around that so going to the gyms a little mm-hmm. bit a little bit um sort of quicker than that I kind of always feel like I've got more interest than I have time for <laughs> So many yeah. I, wish I, could do, but I guess everyone's like that
0: <laughs> oh my god I totally hear you and like as you're sharing just like more information about you and your background like I feel like we are kindred spirits we have so much in common that is really cool I would I definitely have like an inner hippie as well and like when I moved to Brooklyn really embraced like that kind of lifestyle where I was just you know trying to live as free spirited as possible and it really helped with my anxiety that was really the beginning of when I personally started like really healing like from the inside out and I think that's like really beautiful that you're finding things that that you're connecting with and that mean a lot to you and that are like helping you feel, you know, more connected with yourself and to be so self-aware that, you know, these things help you is, is incredible. So I'm like doing one of those, like, you know, bows of <laughs> respect, like, that's really awesome. And oh, so to you. start off in terms of like the social anxiety, um, for those who might not know, like what social anxiety is, are you able to share with us what social anxiety? Sure, yeah. So um, I'd say
1: in a nutshell, it's an overwhelming fear of different aspects of just everyday social things. So it's not just like jitters before big occasions like a job interview or public speaking or, you know, things that everybody gets nervous about. It's also things like fear of eating in front of people or fear of being in crowded public spaces or issues with eye contact and just sort of everyday things like that and it's sometimes, it's sometimes called social phobia, which, um, there's a few people who sort of make subtle distinctions between the two and say, oh, you know, social anxiety is this, and social phobia is that, but a lot of the time it's used interchangeably, it's kind of, kind of the same thing, so if you say the word phobia, you kind of get an idea of the kind of level of problem it can be.
0: Hmm, yeah, definitely. Are, are there things that you would say trigger social anxiety, or, or what are the things that, that trigger, trigger or have triggered your, your social anxiety specifically? Oh
1: my god, yeah, there's definite triggers. I mean, I kind of split it up into three aspects. There's the kind of anticipatory anxiety, where you start worrying about something for weeks, or, or might even be months before it happens. Um, and then there's the anxiety during the event itself, and then you get kind of a fallout from it as well. So after after a social event or something has happened, you can spend, again, it could be weeks or months or even even years in a worst case of kind of thinking back on a social event and then worrying about your performance during it. And it could just be, um, you know, it could be that you're triggered by your thoughts surrounding it. So you kind of anticipate that it's going to be scary, it's going to be difficult, and you're thinking about a past event which made you feel very very anxious and very tense and you look back on it and kind of go oh that's going to happen again and of course it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy um mm-hmm. but it can be a trigger I mean that's the worst with anything mental health is the sort of way you can talk yourself down in, in some ways and you kind of say no oh you know this is this is bound to happen and of course once you've told yourself it's going to happen it sort of almost it almost triggers it to happen hmm um, it can also be, um, so I once had the misfortune of working with someone who was quite a bully, um, he would sort of, um, make very sexual comments and tease the women he worked with, and Mm. he found out one day that I blush easily, and that was it, he just loved that, so, um, he would deliberately say things to make me blush, and of course, Once someone knows, you know, knows that about you, they are very good at finding ways to actually trigger that and make it happen. Um, So sometimes Mm. I wouldn't, you know, I I could, I could always tell if I was blushing because I could feel my face heat up. And sometimes I knew I wasn't, but he would say, oh, you're blushing, you're blushing. And of course, the moment he said you're blushing, I would blush. I mean, Mm. (laughs) that was the greatest party trick ever. But um, yeah,
0: (laughs) I always not so funny. Ah. I have to say, like, I I tend to blush pretty easily as well. And even I think the worst for me when I was really experiencing like the height, like the the peak of of my anxiety was, you know, even during class, for example, when I was like in high school or in college, even if a teacher would say something like, calling someone out on something or you know if if it was very evident like a parent that I didn't do the thing I always felt like all eyes were on me and it would like make my face turn completely red and it was it was even worse when like there was you know either like in sex ed class or something where someone would bring up a topic and it would make me blush and it was I, I people used to make you know poke at me for things like that as well so it's kind of interesting that you're you know like even saying now that the, that the guy was like, oh, this makes her blush. Like I'm going to keep doing it and poking her. I'm like, oh yeah, I could think of a few people that like used to do that mm-hmm. to me as well. And like, yeah. I, I don't think that I, I, I do that quite as much now, but um, I feel like, yeah, at, at the peak of when I was really experiencing a lot of anxiety, I think it was more like evident. And to your point, the more I was thinking either do it or don't do it, it made it so much worse. So I, I can, I feel you on that.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, mine's got so much better than it used to be, but, um, yeah, having, having people sort of deliberately, um, behaving like that towards you is, yeah, is a massive trigger. But, um, mm-hmm. I suppose the difference between a trigger and a cause, like the original cause is kind of, um, like a more difficult thing to actually pin down, I think it's kind of like like all mental health issues, it's kind of a mixture of different causes, there's probably like a genetic aspect to it where people are predisposed, but I don't ever think genetic things are inevitable, I think there's always sort of um, environmental aspects as well, so it's not sort of guaranteed Mm. to grow up unless you get sort of life experiences that bring them out, and I think possibly with social anxiety, it can be like a lot of different Um, mental health issues where if you're kind of emotionally neglected or abused or bullied as a child um, that would increase the chances of getting something like social anxiety
0: Mm. wow that's that's really deep and I completely agree with with all of the above and I would say that just taking from my own personal experiences that was what triggered mine so for for those who have you know been following like on my Twitter and and other like podcast episodes, I've I've shared a few times that my mom has narcissistic personality disorder. And so I personally felt like my emotions and feelings were very much neglected or, or you know, disregarded like growing up when I didn't know any better and didn't really know like who I was. And then my trigger was when Someone who I will never forget is named Raymond, who threw up in school when I was like in first grade or something, and I saw everyone's reactions to how he basically made everyone feel and it was just this like very, you know, traumatic experience for me. And mm-hmm. I had already exhibited like anxiety as a child and then with that it really caused emetophobia which is like the fear of throwing up. And it goes beyond that. It's not just the fear of throwing up, it's the fear of smelling it, hearing it, you know, hearing people gagging, like even the word like would trigger me. So that kept me from doing things in my everyday life. Like I'll never forget um, some friends who invited me to um, join them for like a talent show or whatever. And because I was so terrified of throwing up in front of people, I said, no. And it, it was something that really affected me because I was really sad, especially when the, when the like VHS came out, you know, like back then before the, before the DVDs, like I um, remember they they gave I us, know. yeah, like our school gave us the, um, the VHS. And I remember like when that part came up on the screen with my friends, like doing the dance, I knew all the different moves. And I just thought like, how sad is it that I didn't even get a chance to do this with them because I was just like so terrified of like throwing up or having a panic attack on stage that it, mm-hmm. it kept me from doing that along with many, many, many things throughout my, you know, basically like my whole life until really like college.
1: That, yeah, that really um, hits me hard because that is the thing that I feel that social phobia and or social anxiety kind of took most from me was sort of opportunities and experiences and the amount of things that I sort of turned down or refused to do because I was too frightened. Um, like I remember when I was about I guess 12, um, there's a boy who, well, he was in my form group at school, um, and he was French and quite cute and I had a massive crush on him, he used to sit in front of me in class and I'd just sit and like at the back of his head when I was about 11 or 12. <laughs> um, I had such a kind of like um preteen crush on him and one day he turned around and asked me if I could um like play drums in his band. I was I was learning drums at the time and somehow he'd heard about that. And I you know I'd never talked to him before. I think i maybe like asked him to pass me a pen or something <laughs> that was it. it was, like, the, <laughs> the conversation we'd had. And he's just like, "Oh, do you want to join my band?" And if i had been a bit more confident, I'd have been like, "Hell yeah, that's amazing." But I <laughs> And I just kind of mumbled something like, oh, I'll I'll think about it. And then I never talked to him again. And he asked someone else to be in the band. And that was it. So (laughs) we would have been like a famous band or something. But it could have been a really nice experience. And just, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing I can remember really turning down um, because of fear. But there's like a lot of stuff since then.
0: Right. Yeah, that word fear is really... There's so much weight to that word. Fear Mm -hmm. and guilt were like two things that really got in the way of me making decisions about things Mm -hmm. and and saying yes to taking risks and doing new things. So, I I really like I feel for you because that that is you know it seems like our stories are very similar. And what's really beautiful and and of course the the mission of this podcast is to um, really help others realize that they're not alone that you know each person is unique and special in their own way and we all have a story that was formed in a very specific and unique way based on as you said like the external things in our environment whether it's the people in our lives or the things that we've watched on tv or you know we all kind of take information and and things that are happening around us in different ways But there are very, very core common denominator things that we all kind of, you know, experience at like a human level. And fear and social anxiety are things that, you know, are more common than just you and I. And so it's like such a beautiful thing to be able to spread the awareness and help others realize that if things like this have happened to them as well, they're not alone and there is definitely hope. And, you know, the more that we, I think personally, like, the more that we become self-aware and realize like what our triggers are, the more that we can better manage them. And so as like a piggyback question is, you know, for those who, um, again, are just learning about social anxiety for the first time, how do they, how do you know, like if you have social anxiety and like what were some of the symptoms that you experienced?
1: oh that's a good question oh so first of all i completely agree with what you just said about um understanding your triggers and how much that helps yeah that's the, that's a huge thing so i'll kind of i'll try and come back to that one later if that's all right but um so how sure, of course you, so yeah how do you know if you've got social anxiety um i'd i'd probably ask yourself um do i worry a lot about offending people or upsetting people do i worry a lot about being rejected that's a huge one um do I find it hard to just let go and just be myself in social situations and is this fear negatively affecting my life is it interfering with my work my relationships things like that is it sort of you know a, a core part of my life in a negative way
0: mm. yeah I, 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 I'm I nodding that. to that I'd say yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm, I I know you can't see me, but like, I'm sitting here just like nodding my head because those are all questions that I had asked myself on the mm-hmm. day-to-day basis. So that, I agree, is those questions, even almost t- to a T in that order,
1: <laughs> can yeah. sort of
0: help identify um, social anxiety and, and the symptoms um, yeah, I'm curious to hear like what some of yours were, but for me, you know, I, I also have hyperhidrosis, which just means that like my glands are, are hyperactive and my hands and feet sweat, you know, profusely, but I thankfully found out about um, doing surgery for my hands, but now my feet just still continue to sweat. And so when I was in situations where I was feeling judged or felt like I wasn't able to like be myself or say something that I wanted to say, whatever the case may be. Again, at the core, it was really just like this crippling phobia of like, what if I throw up? What if I have a panic attack mm-hmm. in front of this person? I was feeling like heart palpitations.
1: Yeah. Feeling
0: very hot. So that's again when like my face would feel flushed. My whole body would feel like it was a furnace. And I would just start sweating a ton. You start getting almost like cotton mouth. And the worst thing I think ever, which was also a trigger in and of itself is that my symptoms were also like my throat would feel like it's closing. And the more that my throat would feel like it was closing, the more I would feel like a panic attack was getting triggered. And I also felt like, oh my God, I can't breathe. I'm going to throw up. So it was just like this escalation. And every time I would ask myself more of those questions, instead of climbing down the ladder, I was like climbing further up it. And... Yeah. Once you kind of get to a point where you're like, "Oh my God, I I just can't even be in front of people right now. I feel like all eyes are on me." That was when the panic attack would trigger. So those those were like my symptoms and kind of what I felt on a physical level. I'm not sure if you're able to like relate or if there was some some similarities that you've experienced Okay, now I am the well. one
1: because yeah, I relate to so much of that. It's yeah. I mean like physical symptoms I get quite a lot of stomach issues so um yeah something else that I kind of struggle with a lot when I was younger was I had an eating disorder in my teens so I kind of screwed up my digestive system quite badly back then unfortunately but um I think a lot of it to be honest is the anxiety that causes so many problems so if I've if I'm really calm and I haven't been anxious about anything for I don't know a day or something <laughs> it doesn't usually last much longer than that but I will have like perfect digestion, and I can, I can eat and everything's fine, if I'm stressed, it's like my food just kind of lodges in my stomach and will not go down, um, it's like, you know, I could, I could eat and six hours later, it's still kind of lodged there, <laughs> so if I'm mm-hmm. feeling really anxious, I just find it hard to eat, and then of course if you're not eating, you feel more anxious because your body gets sort of, you know, um, jittery from, like, low blood sugar and, um, yeah, I would get stomach pain just purely from the anxiety. I'd get blushing, um, sweating. You mentioned that. Um, Shaky hands, uh, shaky voice, closing throat. I definitely had that. Really dry mouth, kind of um, feeling like you kind of, can't breathe properly. Um, the worst time I can remember was the first time I had to run a meeting, and I'd never run a meeting in my life before. I had this new job, and I had to kind of um, chair a meeting for an hour and a half, and there were only about like, eighteen people in the room, but it was, you know, the most people I would ever spoken in front of in my entire life And mm-hmm. this hall that we'd rented, and the hall was like huge and freezing cold, and we had this, you know, sort of horseshoe chair, sort of chair setup, so everyone was sort of sat around very formally, and all of them were staring at me. And I somehow got through the meeting, but I think I spent most of it sat on the other side of the room watching myself, I had this sort of out-of-body experience, mm. and at one point I realized that I was absolutely freezing cold, and I had to borrow someone's jumper because I was starting to shiver all over, um, I put this jumper on, I kind of snuggled into it, and I was like, okay, and I... I got through the meeting, and afterwards, everyone was sort of perfectly normal, and everyone sort of said it went really well. I was like, on the outside, I probably appeared fine, like maybe they sensed like a little bit of nerves, but I probably appeared, you know, pretty much okay. Whereas inside, I was having a like, full-on meltdown. but it was, oh. <laughs> oh, I'm a freeze down more like, so I was so cold. As the main thing I can remember was like just how how my whole body just turned to ice. It was just the most bizarre sensation. Um, mm.
0: Yeah, I I can't believe I forgot to mention about like stomach problems and again with like being kindred spirits, like I also had an eating disorder as a kid and oh. that started in elementary school. I probably was, yeah, like around 5, I think 5 years old or 5 to 7, whatever age, you know, however whatever grade you're in at mm. that time in your life is really when all of this started. The panic attacks, the eating disorder, the stomach pains and and to your point with the shivering, So there were times where the symptoms, you know, from a physical sense was very hot, like furnace, like so hot. And then there were times where if I wasn't having a panic attack, because it didn't quite escalate to that a hundred percent, I know exactly like, I'm just, I'm (laughs) like reliving like some of the moments where it would get to a point where your whole body is like freezing and you're like shivering, Mm -hmm. like you just start trembling and you're not it's like not even cold. Like it could be normal temperature. It's just crazy what, what the mind can like conjure up and how it affects the body. And this really goes to show just sharing, you know, going back to what you just shared about like you to everyone else in the room, looked, I'm sure like confident, you knew what you were saying, you conducted the meeting in a really great way. And inside there was this like inner storm and no one can see the inner storm. And I think that's also something to bring awareness to when it comes to talking about mental health is that when someone breaks a leg or if someone, you know, has like pink eye or something, there are physical, you know, we use our eyes, like our senses to see the person with a broken leg or with the pink eye but we can't see what's going on inside. And really your story is again, like such a testimony to how mental health affects the body. That if we are not taking care of our minds in the same way that we take care of our hair, our skin, you know, whatever from the exterior, like even our clothes, things that we have outside of our bodies, it's like, it will affect the way that our bodies function and people get, headaches, they get sick, There, there's like, proof that people who have anxiety and are not able or don't know how or whatever to, to manage it, it gets to a point where you can literally get like an illness and a disease from just letting the body experience this, you know, for years and time on end. Um, so I think that's, that is really important is to, to emphasize that, that, we are spreading awareness by having these kinds of conversations to like help break stigmas and help, you know, again, like share the importance of taking care of our minds because it's what, it's like the computer that runs, that runs the whole system.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. That is the thing that I think is, is so important because people focus so much on, um, sort of healing the body and taking care of the body. And I think until very recently, I think there's a lot more focus on it over the past few years, but until fairly recently, the mind kind of always took second place. And people would sort of um, downplay emotions and I mean, they still do quite a lot to some extent, try to kind of, um, you know, sweep things under the rug and just sort of say, you know, oh, well, you know, it's just just anxiety, it's just, you know, it's just a bit of sadness, it's just, you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, You know, like, like you said, if someone breaks their leg, that is an emergency, that gets immediate medical treatment, but if someone is, you know, in a sort of chronic state of anxiety, it's doing damage to their body, it is causing you know, problems um, with their sleep, with their digestion, with their um, everyday ability to engage with the world around them and with people in their lives, and just to, you know, just to live an actual full and satisfying life, and for me, that, that is an emergency, it's like a really long, slow emergency happening,
0: but it doesn't get treated Absolutely. So. Right, yeah, and, and I, I, again, really want to Use this podcast as a way to share, you know, the resilience of women like you who live with things like social anxiety and and are able to to overcome them, to recognize the symptoms, and to and to understand like what the next step is. And so to, um, again, like great segue and piggyback into the next question, which is, you know, what would you say to someone who is living with social anxiety right now? Um, is recovery possible, and how can people kind of manage their anxiety I'd say so
1: anyone who is going through it right now I'd say that if you're experiencing the things that I've just mentioned then please have hope that it can get better because it's gotten so much better for me in the past few years I I still I still do uh, sort of struggle a little bit with social anxiety but compared to the way I felt five or ten or fifteen years ago it's gotten hugely better. Um, and I don't think you have to aim for being a loud and confident, extroverted kind of person because, you know, if you're feeling nervous, you kind of, you automatically think, oh, that's what I have to be. You know, I have to try and be the life and soul of the party. or I have to try and be that person that always, you know, speaks out at meetings or I have to be the one who, um, is, you know, um, sort of loud and confident in the room and, and, you know, happy that all eyes are on me. And actually that's probably not you. I know it's, it's certainly not me. Um, so just aim for being quietly confident, aim for being able to speak out when you want to, or when you need to, and just picture yourself that way. Kind of imagine yourself as someone who exemplifies that, uh, that kind of quiet warmth. I, I quite often think of, have you heard of Susan Kane who did the um, book on introverts? I'm trying to remember the title. Of the no.
0: Book. Oh. She I feel like a the, the author sounds very
1: familiar. <laughs> yeah. I think it was called Quiet. It was like a white book, had like a pure white cover, and it was called Quiet, and it was something like The Power of Introverts, and I saw her do a TED Talk, or I saw a recording of a TED Talk, and she is sort of um, very much an introvert herself, and she talked for, I don't know how long TED Talks are, like, what are they, sort of half an hour or something, in front of this huge audience. And um, she was sort of, you know, as she was doing it, she was sort of saying, you know, I I am actually nervous right now. And, you know, this is completely out of my comfort zone. But she was, she was, but she wasn't trying to kind of um, like bravado her way through it or something. She was just being herself. She had this sort of just quiet warmth and this kind of um, quiet dignity and compassion and allowed herself to sort of show a little bit of nerve sometimes, but without being... Ashamed of it. I think that is the key is kind of getting over the shame Like it's not a shameful thing to be a bit of a quiet person I think in the world we've currently got and a lot of the the current political situations that are going on I think people that are a little bit kind of um, a bit shyer and quieter are actually really desperately needed because there are so many people out there who sort of um, are very willing to you know shout out and speak up and be noticed and and uh, there are a lot of people out there who don't necessarily want to be doing that, but would probably come up with better ideas and better thoughts if they were given the chance and um, given the audience. So yeah, yeah, a role model. Like you know, Susan Kane is one of mine. There's a lot of people out there that you know you could find someone who just has that that sort of um quieter personality but still has the confidence to speak out just find someone and kind of model yourself on them for a little bit because that kind of helps where you're finding your feet i think if you're not quite sure how to do it yourself yet pick someone and kind of think okay i'm just going to be them for a while or i'm going to be a bit like them for a while and you'll kind of find your own way of doing it eventually you'll kind of come out of come out of that sort of mental space where you're kind of judging yourself the whole time and allow yourself just to sort of take a few more risks and Yeah,
0: come out of that kind of wow, Kate. You are an amazing human being. I truly like am sitting here with this huge smile on my face from ear to (laughs) ear, nodding at everything that you're saying with like all of these incredible like nuggets of like truth and and I feel like your words are like giving me a hug. Like I'm so grateful. (laughs) There's so many things that I want to like go back and be like, oh my god, yes, comment, yes, comment. (laughs) <laughs> and I would say that like, of the things that you just shared, like one of the things that really, really just resonated with me was alleviate, you know, like lifting the veil of shame. Yeah. I think that that, that is such a, you know, that is such a powerful statement because as we were just talking about, when it comes to, you know, the social anxiety and and feeling judged and feeling like all eyes are on you and making a mistake and being afraid of making a mistake. The beauty here is that when we can just give ourselves the gift of acceptance and give ourselves like, you know, like wrap ourselves in a hug of acceptance, that it's okay to be anxious. It's okay to, you know, make Do something silly. I I was gonna say make a mistake, but to be honest, I'm learning over the years that through my experiences, you know, for some things that I have deemed once to be like a horrible mistake or or something that you know wasn't quote unquote right, I'm realizing now that there's really no right or wrong way to do things. And as someone who struggles with you know obsessive compulsive disorder and having had anxiety forever, it's something that is such a comforting truth that, you know, we are like, okay, you know, it's, it's okay to be human and to have these, these feelings every now and again. And once I've internalized that it's going to be okay. And you know, if, okay, God forbid, like what happens if I throw up? Okay. Everyone's going to be like really grossed out and then they forget about it. You know, they move on. Or like, if something happens in front of someone, you know, it's, It's sort of like, it's not that bad. And I think that that's one thing that I've really tried coaching myself over the years as well is like lifting this veil of shame and fear and guilt. Those three are like the pillars of destruction. And once you kind of knock them down before they knock you down, that's when like the healing begins. That's when we're able to really look at ourselves with compassion and acceptance and, um, I also love what you shared about like having a role model because when we see that recovery is possible with people that we've really um, like identify with, you know someone whose story most closely matches our own, or someone who's gone through a very similar walk of life or who again like has a common denominator to us, when we see that person in their strength that you know they admit like this like, Susan, you said her name is. Yeah, Susan Kane. Susan, yeah. So for her to just be very vulnerable and say, look, mm-hmm. I'm doing this thing right now and I'm scared shitless and I'm yeah. going to be very honest about it. I think that's so beautiful. There is so much, um, it's just such a human comment and, and I really celebrate that because it's a lot scarier to admit that we're human, but we all are. So I think that those two things, you know, like, removing the shame and, and not removing because it's, you know, you can't just like wake up one day and like remove it, but just understanding that it's possible to manage the fears that we have and look to people who are role models and and really become more self-aware. Um, I think these are all really powerful steps towards healing. And yeah, I mean, there are times that I, I also still experience this kind of anxiety, especially when like I'm having the pain in my stomach and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to throw up. And then you just, you know, you, 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 you learn how to calm yourself down. I think that's, that's the other thing too.
1: Yeah, no, you absolutely do. I think sometimes you can kind of get a ritual of ways to calm yourself down. I know that if I've had a really full on day at work and I come home and my head is just kind of buzzing and I've had sort of um kind of people 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 all day I kind of feel like I need some quiet so I tend to just kind of um I've got this really heavy blanket so I quite often just wrap this blanket around myself i kind of make a little cocoon I get myself a cup of tea and I put some music on <laughs> and I just float away and it's like half an hour later I feel fine
0: again but it's just knowing sort of mm. something to calm you down when you're feeling like that absolutely yeah and so these are again like these are all ways that people can cope ways to manage the, the social anxiety. And so, yes, recovery is possible. I'm, I'm so glad that, again, we, we're using this platform to talk about the ways in which we have um, been able to manage all of these things. And so, you know, as we're kind of coming to, to the end of, of our soul chat, and again, as the mission of this podcast is to highlight resilience and empower women who are living with mental illness. And to you know really show how it is possible to overcome. What are ways that we can overcome social anxiety and things that have you know continued to work for you even when you experience it in present day?
1: Oh, okay. I think um, I think there's two things that are really important with this. I think the first is so going back to the shame side of it. Um, one of the things that helped me get away from that was finding people to connect with who we're going through the same thing as me. So if you actually feel like, you know, you're not the only person that's feeling this way and other people are struggling with it too and they're having the same thoughts and the same problems, um, for that, uh, for me, that took away a lot of the shame pretty much all of it, to be honest, like, I still struggle with it sometimes, but actually the moment I remind myself, you know what, there are people I know and love and care about and respect who are also struggling with exactly the same issues, that just kind of immediately switches off that voice in the back of my head that's sort of saying, oh, I feel bad about this and you should feel ashamed, and all of that just sort of, is just gone, um, because I, I can picture the people's faces and I can think, you know, would I, would I tell them to be ashamed? I wouldn't, I absolutely wouldn't. So. Mm-hmm um the first you know people I found to connect with it was a forum like back in my I guess kind of early to mid-20s I found an online forum of people with social anxiety and I'd never heard of this as a kind of disorder before so um it was a bit of a revelation for me I was like oh okay I feel that way and I feel that way and oh wow they're talking about the things that go on in my head and it just
0: Mm. um,
1: made me feel like I wasn't alone with it for the first time and that was huge and then since then I've kind of found people who are in my kind of day-to-day life who including people I've kind of you know known most of my life and we'd never really talked about it before I've kind of said you know oh actually I feel a bit like and they got, oh me too and you kind of get this situation where you you sort of know someone, and you've known them for decades, and then you start talking about things, and you kind of go, ah, oh, okay, there's this whole other side of you that, you know, you've never shared before, and you kind of suddenly feel safe to, and you feel like you're in a kind of space where it's okay to be vulnerable, and you don't have to worry about being judged because they understand. So it's, yeah, it's, it's finding those connections, I think, that makes a massive difference. And it's finding reasons to get over social anxiety, because, Just saying, I want to get over social anxiety is difficult. It's actually, it's an uncomfortable thing to do. I mean, if you're going to kind of go out of your comfort zone and kind of, you know, try and do new things that are a little bit scary for you, you're going to get all of those physical side effects. You're going to get the sweaty palms and the dry mouth and the palpitation, all these things. And, you know, your body's going to be saying, no, no, this is dangerous. Stop, you know, don't, don't do this. And you've got to have a really solid reason and, you know, doing it just for the sake of it. That's not a good enough reason. If you just say, oh, I want to get over it because I don't want to be anxious anymore. um, That's not really going to cut it, I don't think, because you're just going to think, well, actually, you know, this is actually really unpleasant. And I'd rather, you know, stay at home rather than go to that party. Or I don't want to apply for that job because that's, you know, terrifying. I'll have to sit in an interview and you'll keep talking yourself out of things. I think the real, the real reasons that I focus on getting over it is because I felt like I was being held back in life. You know, I had all these goals and things that I was passionate about and things that I cared about and the anxiety was getting in the way of them. So I kind of wrote myself a list of, you know, what would I like from my life? What would I like with my, you know, work or with my relationships, uh, my living arrangements? And I kind of worked out just the little baby steps to achieving them rather than kind of saying, you know, okay, I want to go from this to this, and that's a mile away. I'm just going to take little, little steps in between and try and get there. And then looking at the little steps, they look a bit more manageable. And I kind of think, okay, you know, this is going to be a challenge and I need to get past some anxiety to get to it. But it's worth it because I've got that goal in mind.
0: Wow. Powerful. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Again, like I've said this a million times and I'm going to say it a million and one times, kindred spirits could not agree more. These are truly things that have helped me to overcome as well. And I love what you said about breaking things down into smaller steps because they do become more manageable and healing and recovery seems more possible the more that we're able to really consolidate things into smaller steps. Because, you know, of course, in and of itself, anxiety is when we feel out of control of things in our lives, whether it's in a Mm. relationship or at work or in our personal lives. And, you know, for people like us who I think we had shared this before we, we hopped on the podcast, but about having like a lot of personal goals
1: Mm. for me, I had a
0: long list of things that I wanted to do. And I, I really did make that commitment where I said, you know what, I'm tired of this Area of my life affecting me in a way that's that's limiting me from moving forward, and of course, it's not it's not that easy. You don't just wake up one day and tell yourself, "Okay, I'm gonna just do this one thing, and it's gonna be like this magic pill, and and I'm gonna wake up and be better, and, and everything's gonna be fine, and I'm gonna tackle this tomorrow." It is it is work. You know, the the healing journey, the self awareness journey, all of this, it does take time and it does take work, and the best example to really share as i've shared in, in other episodes is that working out is is like the perfect analogy that there is no magic pill you know, yeah. there is no there is no like quick fix it it starts with a decision and once that decision is made we internalize it and the more that we work towards it the more impactful the 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 healing and the recovery journey begins and when we become you know so like laser focused on 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 getting better and doing things that help us feel happy that is also what what snowballs the recovery is is again and I know you shared this at the beginning you know the the rock climbing and the weight training and you know walking the dogs like when we can find little pleasures in life and when we are able to identify things that make us happy and we connect with people who have gone through similar things, like everything that you just shared, in addition to breaking them down, as you said, like that 100% is is what our listeners can take action today. It's It's listening to this episode and making the decision. I commit to my recovery. I know that healing and recovery is possible. Two people right now are having a conversation who like you know, have been in a position where we've let things kind of, you know, go in our lives and made the decision. So it is possible and it's it is going to be work. And the beauty is that we're not alone as we do the work. And so, you know, with that, um I, I want to encourage everyone to go check out Kate's blog, follow her on Twitter. What other social platforms are you on? I'm gonna have all of them listed in the description. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just getting started so I got a YouTube at the moment. Um, I've just got one video on it so it needs to be built but um, yeah they're gonna oh, be, gonna be a Pinterest soon. There's gonna be a lot of them but at the moment my main platform is Twitter and my blog.
0: Amazing, wonderful. Well Sam please go and check Kate out on Twitter. Go follow her, show her love and support. We are all here. We are you know, both here for you and and we want to support you in your journey and whatever it is that you're going through, again, just remember that you are not alone. Um, we're, we're here to, to help. I, I would actually love, I think that this is one of those kinds of topics that, is, um, that I think like a, a lot of people are, are struggling with. And even if someone doesn't have like an anxiety disorder, I think that social anxiety is something that, again, in front of a meeting or whatever is, is still so real. I would love if you were open to it, and this just kind of came to me, to have like a follow-up question where we take people's questions and help answer them, or do some type of like, I have a YouTube channel too, so I'm not sure if we can like do a collaboration, like go live on it and take questions. Like maybe we can start something on Twitter and collect people's questions about it. And I don't know, I'm feeling really like spiritually led to just share this as like a brainstorming. So we can talk about that and see if I think that would be really fun. And that I think that people fun. Yeah, really <laughs> Amazing. Okay, great. So we'll have that. We'll have all the things available. It's all going to be in the description of this episode. And yeah, I'm, I'm just like super excited. Thank you so much. Are there any other like last comments that you'd like to share?
1: Um, no, I just wanted to say this has been an amazing experience and thank you so much. I feel like I've actually learned stuff from talking about it with you. I kind of understand it all better myself from um, kind of putting it all together and hearing your thoughts on it. So, yeah, thank you.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you. I feel the same way, like, it really is so beautiful. That's I amazing. So, you'll be so excited, I can't stop talking.
1: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, me
0: is- too. I know that's why I'm like, I'm getting like separation anxiety right now. I'm like, okay. We're like coming to the end, but I wanna keep talking. That's why I'm like, let's do a part two. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I love the idea Amazing. of the questions. Yeah, I really think that will be very, very helpful. And it, it will be the first time that I actually will take, you know, live questions. But I think I think that that's also both of us stepping out of our comfort zone and, you know, pushing through social anxiety to be like, you know what? I've never done this before. I'm gonna say yes because I'm not going to let fear stop me from doing this. Like I want to start doing more of this in my coaching and everything that I'm doing, you know, in my own practice. And so I think this is like, I don't know, I, for some reason, this just came to me as we were talking. So I think we should roll with it. <laughs> no, it's a great idea. I love it. Amazing. Thank you again so much, Kate. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Lizzie. It's been brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and tune in next week for a new topic. To help spread the good vibes, please share this episode with friends and family. Or if you share on social, be sure to tag me at CoachLizzie.